quite possibly the most dense emerging cricket podcast we've ever done. The Men's ACC Challenger Cup, Men's Thailand Quad Series, Women's ACC Premier Cup, the Hong Kong Tri-Series, the East Asia Cup on the men's side, Nepal's ODIs against Canada, and League 2 getting underway. Make sure to, wherever you're getting your scores, to keep them with you while we do run through all these events. Uh, At the time of recording, everything was right, but in the last few days, plenty has changed in the emerging world, so make sure to keep a lookout uh, for scores around the grounds. But uh, enjoy this week's Emerging Cougar podcast. There's plenty to talk about, as always. Welcome in again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Thanks for listening wherever you are around the world. Daniel Beswick joined by Nick Skinner this week. Tim is on Vanuatu Cricket Duty as they prepare for the Challenge League playoff, which begins at the end of next week. But I'm joined by Nick. It's been a crazy week, I I suppose, in Emerging Cricket, just purely based on the volume of cricket and cricket that we're about to have, especially in the Asia region. Uh, made a bit of a joke on air that we should be the Asia Cricket Podcast for this week uh, with everything going on in that part of the world and we'll get stuck into it as quickly as we can, I suppose. But Nick, how have you been uh, in Europe? How's things going on uh, over there in Iceland? Well, uh, we've just had Boladagur, which is a holiday dedicated to pastries. Um, so these very popular cream buns that people have um i believe it's related to the lent tradition and uh, the fat tuesday and ash wednesday and all that stuff um but anyway the way it's resulted in iceland is um bakeries competing over the most elaborate uh, cream buns that they can put together so that's been delicious and very enjoyable at the moment uh the weather's i mean you know it's still cold but I think there's some benefits to that. You can just sort of treat the whole uh, the balcony as a as an extension to the freezer, so that's helpful for for certain food products. Um, but yeah, good times in Iceland, uh, enjoying enjoying life. How's things in the hot weather, Bez? I, I mean, yeah, Australia's had a bit of a heat wave recently. The humidity has been almost unbearable. Uh, the aircon's been getting a workout, and then when the aircon's gone down. Uh, multiple fans mm. it's hopefully starting to cool down i'm getting a little bit sick of it now to be honest falling asleep is difficult tossing and turning in the humidity and feeling like you're struggling to breathe and that's you know in a you don't even live in queensland yeah exactly it's not like we're living up north you know near the tropics where it feels like it gets really hard at this time of year but i suppose there are worse places to be not only the location wise but in in terms of the climate so uh got to take the uh the rough with the the smooth at at times and it's been good i suppose the last week or so in uh emerging cricket circles has been really good from a time zone perspective with so much cricket in asia Mm. it's meant that you know while work's going on in the background i'm here watching streams that hong kong are putting up or the acc are putting up in in thailand with the the challenger cup so it's been a good time to sit down and actually take in uh, a little bit more cricket and you know with the challenge league playoff uh starting next week as we mentioned uh before in in malaysia which you know i'll be lucky enough to to have the privilege to to go to and and work on it's been good seeing a, a couple of those teams in action as they kind of prepare, albeit through uh, other competitions. The first one being uh, the ACC Challenger Cup, 
uh, hosted in Thailand, as mentioned. And uh, a surprise result of sorts with Cambodia being one of the teams to advance to the Premier Cup, uh, especially given that they had to go through the qualifiers. Although the caveat is that we know that in the last sort of 12 months has been a lot of turnover in Cambodia players and the eligibility of those players has come into, I suppose we could say it's come into question. I think that's fair to say. Um, we'll talk about their competition in a moment. But Saudi Arabia, a team that will be at the Challenge League uh, playoff in Malaysia, also advancing, uh, breezing really to to that progress, uh, beating Japan in the, the semi-final before actually going on and winning that uh, final as well. But... Uh, great tournament put up by the ACC. I thought, you know, there's several points that we can make about a number of teams. I thought Japan entering the tournament and reaching the semifinal and despite going down to Saudi Arabia had a, a pretty good campaign that might have been a little bit disappointed to lose to uh, Singapore in that third place playoff where they were unable to defend 215. Uh, an outstanding performance by the Japanese batters to get to 215, uh, unable to hold on. But yeah, going back maybe to start with, say, Cambodia, we know that their progress in cricket has been well documented. Some of the press hasn't been particularly great. There's been a few controversial moments in all of this, but they go through to the Premier Cup, albeit going through the qualifier needed to, to get in the playing tournament of sorts. They had trouble against Bhutan, for instance, and, and here they, they've gone on and got a spot for the, the Premier Cup. Yeah, I mean, just a, sort of a, a bit of a preface to this. Uh, you, you mentioned the volume of cricket going on in Asia and just really highlights the, I, I guess, the place of Asia at the moment as kind of the region that's that's really the heart of, of cricket in the world. The, you know, obviously there's India, but, you know, there's so many other countries in, in that region and, and the ACC obviously organising these pathway tournaments leading up to the Asia Cup. Um, you know, the Challenger Cup into the Premier Cup into the Asia Cup. I, I think it's a great setup. So, yeah, once again, plaudits to the ACC. You know, just <laughs> this is where the, you know, the real uh, development work in, in cricket is is happening, I guess, is, is just all over the region. But, um, yeah, good good effort from Cambodia. As you say, they made it to the Challenger Cup through the, the play-in tournament and then have gone through to the finals. So, uh, kind of interesting, as you allude to, yeah, they, their players, we kind of expected a lot of their players wouldn't return, but, you know, for example, Luckman Butt has come back after, um, yeah, as, as you allude to, the Southeast Asian Games, which were hosted by Cambodia, was where a lot of these players uh, kind of <laughs> appeared out of nowhere, um, brandishing Cambodian passports, uh, which, you know, that, that sort of thing does happen a bit in, in these regional games, um, but often they'll sort of cobble together a team and you never hear from them again. But it seems like a, a few of them have stuck around. So that's interesting as well. And, and if Cambodia can, you know, maintain that level, they'll, they'll be a new force in the region, which, which is yet another team competing for, for these for these places in, in regional tournaments. So, yeah, that that's good as well. Um, Saudi Arabia have been kind of there or thereabouts uh, for a couple of years now. They've, they've been on, on a bit of an upswing. Uh, you know, their, their men's team's been improving. And, you know, even the women's team uh, has, has done... They've struggled a bit, but, you know, they've, they've won a number of games. And, and, yeah, cricket in Saudi Arabia seems to be developing uh, uh, pretty rapidly. Um, so, yeah, two teams that are kind of on, on the way up. Um, interesting to see... You mentioned Singapore in that third-place playoff. Japan's another one that we've been following who are on the way up, I think. But Singapore's kind of on the downswing. You know, they lost pretty comfortably to Cambodia in that semi-final. And Singapore also, 
I mean, they did enough in, in their group, but they weren't super convincing, even against the Maldives. They, they didn't blow them away. So, yeah, I mean, this Singapore team has really taken a tumble over the last few years. And, and to some extent, it's, 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 you know, losing players. And to some extent, it just seems like something seems to be going wrong. Uh, back home in Singapore to you know keep producing these these weak teams, but uh, yeah, congratulations to Cambodia and Saudi Arabia for making it through to the the Premier Cup and you know one one step closer to the Asia Cup. Yeah, <laughs> the added caveat I suppose from Cambodia was that uh, controversy that happened against oh, yes. Indonesia. It seems like that's kind of finally sort of blown over. There was a little bit more light in on that in a BBC article, which people might be able to find elsewhere. But you make a good point going back to, say, Singapore, for instance. I mean, you know, it seems systemic, the issues that are going on there at the moment. And, you know, it, it's probably unfair of us to kind of speculate on what those issues actually are. But it's not as if this team is magically bad now that Tim David's not around helping out. I mean, there were times when Singapore were putting up great results when either Tim David wasn't there or didn't perform. It's not like one player's completely changed the destiny of a country's cricket. It would be very unfair to, to even suggest that, I think. I think there's definitely more issues that we're not exactly privy to from the outside and it's only really, you know, for Singapore cricket to really find themselves. But again, this region, I mean... It's a constant conversation topic that we have between, say, this part of the world, you know, Asia, Southeast Asia, and parts of, say, uh, Southern and, and Southern West Africa, where because the teams are so geographically close and there are so many tournaments being put on, in, in the case of Asia, both ACC events and other events that sort of lead into, say, Asian Games pathways and events outside of, say, ICC pathways, it's given all of these teams a huge opportunity to play a lot of cricket and to test themselves against the best. And then, as we've noted, we've seen Cambodia bolster their stocks. Uh, Japan's inclusion in the ACC only really helps the region. Uh, Indonesia too, more so on the women's side for now, but I think we'll see the men's grow in that space too. And it just means that whatever cricket we get in this region, it's, it's going to be strong. And, you know, that's not even including say, the western side of Asia where the Middle East is, is now thriving and Southern Asia in terms of, say, Nepal, if they the, the Bhutanese challenges, uh, you know, sort of knock on, on their door a little bit more as well. So I think things bode really well in this region uh, and we'll talk about, I suppose, the, the women's side now with the Women's Premier Cup in Malaysia, which has begun as well. I mean, this isn't limited to the men's side of things. We've seen... Japan now included and Indonesia on the women's side too. And it's meant, you know, a, a 16-team Premier Cup. You know, I know there's only two spots to the Asia Cup, but this is a region heaving with uh, associate cricketers and there's been records broken and outstanding performances kind of wherever you look, really. Thailand starting to blood some new talent. Uh, Alia Shandell picked up a 4-4, four and four, whether or not we call it a, dub- a, a, a double hat-trick. I'll leave that to you, Nick. Rabina Chetri scoring Nepal's first T20i time. There's just a lot going on here, Nick, and a lot of notes in, in this week's show for us to talk about. Uh, plenty of plenty of discussion points, and I'm not really sure where you want to start, but I'll give you the liberty to kind of go where you want to go first, and <laughs> I suppose we'll go from there. Well, uh, just uh, I, I might start by 
kind of closing the loop on one of the points you made about the Challenger Cup and, and the West uh, Asia region, you know, looking at that Premier Cup lineup, we've got Bahrain, Saudi Arabia now, Qatar, Oman, Kuwait, and UAE. So, you know, half the teams at the Premier Cup, the you know, the playing tournament for the Asia Cup are from that sort of Gulf Western Asia region that, that you're mentioning. So, yeah, obviously cricket is booming in, in that part of the world as, as well as the kind of Central Asia and, and uh, Southern Asia. And it's it's just everywhere. And, and it's it's fantastic to see that there's, you know, so many teams from just a diverse range of, uh, of countries in the region. But yeah, the... The Women's Premier Cup, as you mentioned, kind of, you know, mostly following the script in in terms of the, the teams that have progressed from the groups. Maybe Japan, a bit of an upset. Now, the, the women have had sort of mixed results in, in recent times, but, um, you know, beating Oman pretty uh, pretty well and you know, making it through to the to the semifinals. Um, just can we just quickly mention, though, you know, four groups of four into knockouts. This is a nice, you know, very intuitive tournament. It doesn't take too long run a bunch of matches all at the same time. You know, it, it's not hard to have a lot of teams in a tournament. And we kind of get wrapped around the axle sometimes of, of you know, formats and, oh, you know, you've got to have this many teams and this many games. But, but I mean, you know, the, the, the formats are there and, and you can run a, an effective tournament that, that, you know, is done pretty quickly with a lot of teams, you know, once again. Uh, so, sorry to keep you know beating up this point, but you know the ACC is just showing the rest of the cricketing world how you can you you know you can do things pretty effectively and and still be inclusive in terms of the teams that are playing. Yes, all that said, Thailand and the UAE definitely uh, you know as as you can see from the results, very much a step ahead. Uh, they both won their groups uh, pretty comprehensively. Malaysia actually won their group, Group C. Um, they beat Indonesia, Qatar, and Bahrain. Indonesia might be a bit disappointed, as as you allude to, their women's team has made a lot of progress recently, um, on in the youth side of things as well at at the Under 19s World Cup. Um, they were they were very impressive, and yeah, I, I think they kind of had an opportunity against Malaysia. They only managed to put 80 up against the Malaysians, uh, thanks to some some good bowling, um, and then Masalisa got Malaysia home. But you know. They took 18 overs, and you know a couple more wickets from Indonesia in that probably would have uh, made things quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think maybe Indonesia feel they they missed a, an opportunity for for an upset there, but you'd imagine that the UAE will make short work of them in the quarterfinals there. Yeah, kind of kind of uh, one of the teams on the way up, but uh, you know running into a powerhouse like the UAE is <laughs> not much you can do. Other sort of notable results, I mean, Nepal and Hong Kong coming through from their group ahead of Bhutan and Maldives. Uh, I mean, Bhutan, again, it's it's a part of the world where the game is, is growing, but um, the, the results on the field haven't really followed, um, either in men's or women's cricket. Uh, Maldives, as is so often the case, uh, on, on the wrong end of some statistical records, um, Rabina Chetri and uh, Mariko Hill for Nepal and Hong Kong, respectively, both scoring their nation's first T20I centuries against the Maldives. I think they'll bowl out for about 15 against Nepal, uh, which again is a, you know, that that's the kind of thing that happens. So, yeah, a lot, lot of work to do for them. Um, yeah, Thailand, as we mentioned, definitely the favourites along with the UAE, uh, cruised through their group, um, just sort of steamrolled everybody. Kuwait coming through their group. I actually thought Myanmar looked like they might be in with a shot, but still a little bit of work to go. Um, Kuwait 
pretty comfortable in that sort of effective knockout match. But, you know, Myanmar's women have actually won a few games recently, um, not least against Singapore uh, towards the end of last year. And Singapore in that group with Thailand, Kuwait and Myanmar, again, they've been really disappointing. You know, they lost to Kuwait by 10 wickets. They lost to Myanmar by five wickets inside 15 overs. And they were thrashed by Thailand by 80-odd runs. So, yeah, also on the women's side of things, Singapore really kind of struggling. So, yeah, it goes across the men's and women's programs. Thailand, in that match against Singapore, actually, uh, a couple of interesting little threads to, to pick up. Chinese Peng Pain uh, with three for 14 on debut. She's come through the under-19s program. And uh, Sunan Kayato, who's... Uh, Backup wicketkeeper to to Nanapet Kontronko, but um, uh, you know also being trialled as as a straight batter, and she scored her first half century. So good to see some of the young talent coming through. And a- again, this is uh, something we we've talked about in the past, but you know Thailand just gradually trying to I guess find replacements for the golden generation who will be uh, you know sort of dropping off probably over the next few years. And to complete yeah round, rounding this out, I think. Oman might be the most disappointed out of the teams uh, with their performance. A lot of a lot of new faces for the team. Five debutants in, in their match against Japan. So yeah, a lot of turnover. Um, but yeah, they they definitely struggled. Uh, balled out for 28 against the UAE uh, and, and lost all their matches, even to China. Um, and and China's women, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's sort of a blast from the past. You could say that that, that uh, you know you look back sort of five, seven years, and, and China's women were kind of on the up and up and, and making progress at this level, and they've they've really stagnated. Um, I, I think, yeah, I mean, we've talked about the impact of COVID on, on their cricketing program. That certainly didn't help. But also just, you know, a number of teams in the region have, have overtaken them, uh, you know, not least team, teams like, like Indonesia, who, who seem to be in that category of, of you know, a, a promising team that's that's on the upswing whereas China doesn't seem to be um, fulfilling their, their potential. It's also notable, um, I, th- I think the uh, <laughs> you'll notice the ICC doesn't really talk about China as a target market anymore. They, they seem to have uh, moved on from that pipe dream uh, and you know the struggles of the, the Chinese uh, teams, both men and women, probably uh, are the reason for that. Although you know now that cricket is in the Olympics, you know, we've, we've heard from a, a number of um, boards about you know the, the difference it makes um, not least you know Japan who we were just talking about last time you know the difference being in the Olympics makes China more than any other country I think being in the Olympics is sort of the the determining factor of whether a, a sport gets taken seriously so maybe even as their teams are, are sort of struggling the, the fact that they've come into the Olympics will will kind of uh, spark a bit of a revival who knows hopefully but uh, yeah we'll, we'll see about that yeah you never know I'd just kind of pick up on a couple of things. You know, Rabina Chetri's sort of been a real torch holder, I think, for Nepali women's cricket. And for her to notch Nepal's first T20I 100, I think, mm. is is a true testament to, to her service to the game in, in Nepal in a, in a country where, you know, there was a time, well, a whole year, in fact, where they didn't really get a chance to play any form of international cricket, you know, for her to come out. And, okay, granted, the opposition might not have been up to the same standard, but to still post that record and and be the first person to do it, I think, is a momentous achievement. And, you know, that will speak volumes and go a long way to uh, young Nepali women back home who, you know, fancy taking up up the game and and seeing those results. Uh, Mariko Hill as well also notching a a century for, for Hong Kong. And 
Yeah, it's a good point you make about Thailand in that, you know, this has been a good opportunity for them to kind of blood some new talent. It's a crucial sort of juncture or a sort of fork in the road for the Thai international women's team, given that it, it looks as if, you know, most of the other teams in the region now have started to kind of catch on and, and catch up to, to what they are being the yardstick in the region. And I think it's great for everyone involved because, you know, the more challenged everyone gets, the better everyone gets. But from a tyre point of view, uh, it's the next couple of years are, are going to be fascinating in, in how they, uh, where they're kind of seen in this region and whether or not they can sort of press on. Granted, you know, the qualification pathways for global events, T20 World Cups in particular, is a little bit different on the women's side where, you know, you do have to go through the global qualifier as well you know, just means an, an extra step really from the Thai women, given that, you know, Asia qualification is going to be hard enough and Asia, Asia sub-regional qualification, you know, could well be harder than it looks, let alone, you know, reaching the global qualifier. But it's a double-edged sword. On the other side, you can look at it as if, well, there's more competition in this region um, and a chance for us to get better ergo once we do get to, say, global qualifiers. We've, we've trained hard to play easy if to kind of use that, that saying. So... It's an interesting time uh, in the region and, and a region that we once again will continue to discuss, I suppose, on on this week's show, given the amount of cricket that's happened here. We'll go back to the men's side. We saw the Hong Kong Tri-Series also include Malaysia and Canada, who visited on a nice little tour. They've also gone to Nepal, and we'll talk about those ODIs in a moment. It just goes to show how busy they've been as well, but... Uh, a great tour for Malaysia, not only winning this tri-series, actually went on and won a bilateral series uh, against Hong Kong as well. A number of key players stepping up. You know, we know the importance of, of the Virandeep Singhs uh, of the world and of that Malaysia team. But I tell you what, with the Challenge League playoff almost underway, um, we saw what Saudi Arabia did in their cricket recently, albeit on the 2020 front. For Malaysia to come out here and beat Hong Kong, I think it's across both the bilateral series and the tri-series. I think they beat them three times in four meetings. Uh, a team that's you know above them in, in the tiers of 50 over cricket, at least at, at this stage. We think that we'll, they'll sort of go back into that. I think they're hot favourites to go back into that Challenge League tier of cricket. Uh, it's an outstanding achievement and it's it's definitely a story to watch. I think this Malaysia men's team are definitely a side that uh, continue to, to post great scores, great victories. They play at home in the Challenge League playoff. They're almost morals to go through now as one of those four spots to go back up to Challenge League. Uh, I've got to say, I've, I've got a pretty keen eye on this team and, and what they've achieved and what they could be in the next couple of years. Yeah, that game against uh, Canada, the final of the Tri-Series, uh, they got home... Uh, with with one ball to spare and and three wickets in hand, so it doesn't get a lot closer than that. And yeah, it was a, it was a great match. Uh, you know, rain shortened, but uh, yeah, very exciting cricket. Good effort under pressure from the Malaysians. Uh, it showed that you know they can win without you know. Um, Virendeep Singh scored four and Sardaziz scored thirteen. So it was uh, Shavan Muniandi and, and Ahmed Faiz who who did the bulk of the work there, um, with you know the the tail kind of chipping in. So winning games where you know when your star players fail is kind of a good sign in in some ways um so that's encouraging from malaysia's perspective um it, it will be very interesting to see them uh, in in the challenge league playoff and and i still have in my mind tim's prediction of uh you know his his, his prospective dismissal of of side as is and uh we'll, we'll, <laughs> yes. we'll see who wins that battle 
but um, uh, yeah, it, it should be a cracking tournament. It's it's just a shame that there's not so much promotion of it because you know it's it's just going to be great cricket. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So that final against Canada was was a good hit out for them. Uh, won a couple of games against against Hong Kong. So they look like they're in pretty good form because you know the Hong Kong and Canada are two uh, solid. Uh, Challenge League teams and, and they're winning against them in in these games. So they look like they quite possibly will be dangerous, even though you know someone like a Vanuatu have beaten them a couple of times in the Challenge League. So um, yeah, looking ahead to to that Challenge League tournament, I I, I just think yeah, who's it's such a such a tough uh, draw. You know, the, there's just a lot of good cricket going to be played. Um, and yeah, I mean. Hong Kong is kind of an, an interesting little uh, passage of play here for them. They seem to be kind of tinkering a bit with their lineup. Anchi Rath was in the runs, which is always nice to see. Oh, um, so good to see. Yeah, absolutely caned the, uh, the the Hong Kong A side, which I mean I think that's a bit unfair putting someone of, of Anchi's caliber up against the the, the B team. Um, but uh, yeah. it's a good challenge for the kids coming through, though. That's true. That's true. I mean, you would want to be testing yourself against the best, and and he is definitely. Uh, the best batter in Hong Kong. So, yeah, he he's he's finding form. Um, Aziz Khan finding form with the bat. Uh, Nazakat Khan as well uh, with with the bat is is looking like he's getting a good hit out. Um, Baba Hayat. So, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like they the sort of the core of their batting. Even though they didn't um, they didn't put it all together, the the core of their batting seems like. They're going to be uh, they're going to be scoring runs uh, as we look ahead to the East Asia Cup, which is uh, going to be played well, probably will be underway by the time you're listening to this, starting on the 14th of February, uh, running through to the 17th. Um, yeah, Hong Kong hosting Japan and China, uh, no South Korea, which is a bit of a shame. They they seem to have not been playing a lot of these uh, regional events recently, so I'm not sure what that's about. It could just be a financial thing. Yeah, I'm a, I, I, I'm a little bit worried actually. Uh, again, not being too on top of, of their particular situation, but the kind of vibe that I get from talking to sort of other uh, teams in, in that region, in, in EAP, it sounds like they've got quite a few hurdles uh, in that organisation at the moment to overcome. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, administrative challenges or, I mean, they, they certainly do seem to have dropped off the radar a bit, which which is a shame. I had some good players some interesting stories you know guys who've come across from baseball which is very popular there so um yeah it would be nice if they can get back on track but anyway yeah so china japan hong kong and uh you know i don't know it's kind of interesting little little yardstick here for hong kong and japan because japan have have as we've discussed you know they've they've been kind of on the up especially on the men's side but even uh you know the women as as well um and hong kong uh Sort of looking at the longer line of their trajectories, definitely on the on the downswing. But you know they they still have the core of a pretty good team, and you know I, I think you would imagine they're going to be favourites for this tournament. But you know you never know. Uh, interesting to see Jamie Atkinson back in the squad, which is nice. Uh, yeah. Um, he I mean he never officially retired from from what I heard I, I think he just sort of didn't have the the time to commit to the team um he works uh, you know full time as, as a teacher so I, I guess um I don't know maybe he's taking some leave or it's school holidays or, or whatever it is um it, it's nice to see him back in the team and and hopefully he gets a run the chinese team yeah the the, the men they do tend to struggle I, I think they're probably a, a level below 
the other two teams. So you would imagine they um, they don't make much of an impact, but um, uh, we'll we'll be good to to see them uh, on the field as well. And yeah, Japan. I mean, yeah, looking forward to see Kendall Katawaki, um, you know, all the regular kind of names um, back on the field, and and uh, should be a pretty entertaining little uh, little series. Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, by the time this show goes out, this tournament would have already started. Begins on the fourteenth. I want to give a shout out going back to to Hong Kong. Um, Shiv Mator made a, a century as a sixteen year old for the Hong Kong A side against uh, Hong Kong. So definitely a player to watch for them. That's an outstanding achievement against a, a Hong Kong side that yeah might have had a couple of shuffles, but still a lot of. Uh, good players in that team. I saw he was congratulated by um, Nazakit during that, that knock, um, which is great. I know that they're probably a very tight setup there, but just to see Nazakit do that mid-game, I think is a great picture on the, the Cricket Hong Kong China um, Twitter account that I'm just looking at at the moment. Um, I'm sure people can find it everywhere. But yeah, remember that name uh, going forward. And yeah, talking about, say, Japan being in contact with you know the guys there and just to play so much cricket is just so helpful for for these guys uh, probably taking off work i know that you know someone like kendall captain the team is is giving up you know great cricket in queensland uh which i know probably doesn't sound you know playing international cricket versus great cricket what would you rather do but you know that's tough you know tough cricket and, and cricket where he would develop as a, as a player as well so you know there are still sacrifices even though you know guys aren't taking time off for, for work per se I, I know his situation you know he's a player manager and he helps you know a couple of guys who are on the circuit a couple of guys who have done some pretty good things recently so he's got an eye for talent himself Kendall uh but you know, these guys who are uh, young guys as well, you know, who are trying to, you know, study while they, they play international cricket, you know, it makes you realise, and talking about Jamie Atkinson again, you know, what the guys have to do uh, to play international cricket. And I know that the really high-end international cricketers, they won't call it a sacrifice because they want to play cricket and they want to do all these things. But when you reach this level, you know, you, you've got to come to sort of an agreement in, in your own head where, you compromise with yourself and, and it must be incredibly difficult to know that, you know, you're not a full-time cricketer, you can't give it your all, but you're still trying to play international cricket and, and do everything at once. And and it's one of the reasons why we, we started Emerging Cricket, right? But at the same time, it's it's important to keep flagging, I suppose, the the personal toils and, and the professional toils that people go through to, to play this great game. And that's why I think we love it so much because there are so many stories and it hasn't been hyper-professionalized, you know, to, to the nth degree. Uh, moving on, and uh, I suppose Canada now back in League Two with ODI status makes it a little bit easier for their personnel. But there are a lot of players sort of turned over in there on their international front as well, and we will talk about them now. They played as part of that tri series that we just mentioned. They've also gone to Nepal to take on the Nepalis in three ODIs. A good prep series for Nepal ahead of League Two, and we'll talk about League Two in a second. But to bring it back to this Canada prep series, not the greatest of signs. There were good moments for Canada, but uh, that first match in particular, they really did fall to the Nepali trap where Nepal just seemed to, when the game gets a little bit tighter, they've just been in that situation so many times now where if they have to win close games, they generally do. Uh, they were 174 for three Canada in 33 overs chasing 224 and then they sort of collapsed with that sort of wicket maybe at the TU just breaking down on them a little bit I think you might be a little bit more critical of, of Canada than me I suppose there are vested interests there for 
for you, but I think Canada, we will talk about this when we talk about League Two. I think Canada will give a better account of themselves than, say, PNG in this next cycle, given they've gone up, PNG have gone down. And we know that a lot of PNG's trials and tribulations in League Two were out of their control. And that must be, you know, noted as well with COVID and, and the way that it threw that team around. And they only really got one try series in that event, which, you know, puts them at a huge disadvantage. It must be said in saying that they did struggle at the playoff afterwards. But Canada, I know it's a disappointing 3-0 defeat uh, for you, Nick, and your, you know, Canadian allegiances. But I suppose this is good practice, you know, coming into League Two cricket and and a good learning curve for a number of young guys who have come into the squad and, and playing and turning out for Canada. Yeah, I mean, Canada's first League Two outing will be at the end of the month. Uh, they're, they're playing against Scotland and the UAE in the UAE. So that'll that'll be getting underway in roughly two weeks' time. So, you know, it's, it's good prep for that. Um, good to see uh, Shreyas Mova coming into form, for example. Uh, he did quite well in that uh, Malaysia-Hong Kong series as well. So, you know, someone like him... Is hitting form. Aaron Johnson at the top of the order had a couple of good knocks. Navneet Dhaliwal back in the team, uh, scoring runs as well. So there's there's some decent signs there from you know guys who who did perform. But yeah, just a disappointing outing really. I mean, you should not be losing from the situation they were in. You know, three for 174 uh, with 17 overs to spare, chasing 224. Uh, yeah, and then just. Rohit Padel taking four wickets. I mean, yeah, it's just a kind of embarrassing panic, uh, I think. Uh, the second match, you know, they, they put up 280-odd, but Nepal just cruised the chase. Uh, Rohit Padel with the bat that time. Um, and, yeah, I mean, no one fully went on with it. You know, there were a few sort of 50, 60, 40, 30 kind of kind of scores, and, and, and it got up to a, a decent total, but... You know, if if, any, if one person had sort of pushed on with a century, I, I think it probably would have been a, a a winning target. And then, yeah, the third game was was a shellacking. Really, they they put up two hundred and thirty odd, and then uh, Bim Sharkey and Anil Shah with an unbeaten one hundred and ninety run partnership. I think it was um, something like that. Emphatic uh, centuries from both of them, and yeah, I mean that just goes to show the the depth that Nepal suddenly have with their batting. You know, Anil Anil Shah, who's not even in the main squad for this League Two series that's coming up is uh, you know out there. Stop press, stop press on that because I in the last fifteen minutes, just flicking through Twitter as we're recording, there's murmurs that he will get thrown in late in that squad. So ah. by the time this goes out, he might be in, he might be out, but we can't speculate <laughs> while we speculate. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I mean, I think yeah, I mean, honestly, you'd you'd be mad not to have him in, you know, if a guy's in red hot form, you get him in the side. Yeah. But uh, on the other hand, it does show that they they have a, it's it's a good position for Nepal to be in, and and a bit of an unfamiliar one. Yeah. You know, for them to have so many options with the bat and so many reliable options with the bat, so you know, especially at home, you know, it's just another data point in this uh, very impressive home run that they've had of 15 ODI wins at home so far consecutively that that you know that fantastic run they had at the back end of league 2 uh and and then now moving into uh the next league 2 with with that um you know bilateral against Canada as well uh i, I believe uh they're f- a few short of the record for consecutive home ODI wins um if they win all of their matches in the upcoming tri series 
and that should put them to 19, which which I think would be a record on consecutive ODI wins at home. But um, either way, very impressive and, and just goes to show how effectively Nepal have, have turned things around in a, a pretty short you know, amount of time where they were really all at sea in in the League 2. By the halfway and even the, the sort of three-quarters stage of League 2, Nepal really looked like they were going nowhere and, and they've they've turned it around remarkably. Yeah. Uh, is, is it time for us to kind of look into League 2 getting underway with Nepal hosting uh, Namibia in the Netherlands, Nick? Mm-hmm. I think so. I mean, the series starts... Um... It starts on the 15th, so uh, I suppose we're giving away trade secrets here given uh, what they were recording. But yeah, look, League 2 is upon us again. Uh, I mean, I've got to say it's one of my favourite competitions to kind of see and and watch over the, the three-year period. And it's a great opportunity for these teams to play 36 one-day internationals each. It's a slightly different format with the Dutch coming back down, making it an eight-team competition with Canada replacing PNG down from the bottom end. The first tri-series is Nepal hosting Namibia and the Netherlands, as we mentioned. A quick look at all of the teams. I suppose we did talk a lot about Nepal here, but there is a little bit more batting depth uh, and the way that Monty Desai has, I suppose, wrangled everybody in and got everyone to kind of sing on uh, off the same hymn sheet, I think has been excellent. There's a little bit more fast bowling talent coming through. Um... Chand, Akashan coming into the team straight from the under-19 World Cup into the senior 11. Um, actually played a senior 11 international fixture. He's the first player to do this. Play a senior international uh, match for his country while the tournament, the under-19 tournament that he was at, was still technically on because it was before the <laughs> under-19 World Cup final that uh, Australia beat India in, which is astounding. Uh, he looks a good find uh, and there is some you know fast bowling there you know through the likes of the experience of Karen KC, Sampal Kami, uh, among others. And then, you know, we did talk about the batting as well. And you've got to say that irrespective of the loss of you-know-who, the spin bowling part of this team, I think, will still flourish. You know, you've got so many options in that in that sort of facet of their team. It's not as if they've ever been short of, of options there. And No, I know. Spin bowling's always been a strength. Think back to Shakti Gauchan. Yeah, and... exactly. You know, you're going to get, you know, the Lalit Rajbanchi to step up and, and play a bit more of a role maybe as the kind of leader of the, the spin attack. So I don't think you really lose a whole lot there. So I'm pretty high on this Nepali team. I mean, at least making the top four, I think that's kind of the, obviously the minimum kind of requirement and the minimum objective. And I think the the minimum in terms of what their fans um, would be aiming for. But I can't see why they can't, you know, win this competition in this league for... I know it's only really for bragging rights, given that the top four will just go up to the qualifier anyway. But, you know, they're a team that at home, they're almost an unstoppable force. Um, And we know there's, you know, there's strength now with the Dutch coming down, for instance. But, you know, why can't Nepal win League 2 in this cycle? I, I think they've got it enough. They've shown enough about themselves. The home and away season, you'd think that they'd be, in terms of availability, their players are going to be available just about all the time. You know, we know that the Dutch and, to a lesser extent, say, the Emiratis and the Scots will have players in and out based on maybe some domestic cricket. But, yeah, I've got to say, now just thinking about it, Namibia might, you know, put up their own fight. And I think those four teams are probably the teams that will be battling um, for those top four spots or maybe favoured to be in those top four positions, you know, why can't Nepal win League 2? I think they very much can. I think this tri-series is going to be a, a barometer of, of where they're at compared to 
Namibia and the Netherlands, who, you know, Namibia, you think back to the, the, the back end of the previous League 2, where Namibia looked in a pretty good position to be directly qualifying for the World Cup qualifier, and then they ended up uh, sort of drop, dropping out of that altogether. So, yeah, you know, Nepal were kind of um, just just bullying them, really, and that they, you know, Namibia would put up a good a good total and Nepal would just chase it down. And, and that's kind of, that's been their model at home is, is you know, they're just based on the batting. Um, the, the bowling, as you kind of refer to, the, the fast bowling stocks, yeah, Chand, Chand is a good prospect and, and it'll be interesting to see how he goes against more seasoned international players. Um, and the spin stocks, you know, as we said, uh, that's that's always been a strength of Nepal's even before uh, Lord Voldemort. Um, <laughs> and we, uh, yeah, I think the, the biggest question mark really though here is the Netherlands for me and, you know, how they cope with, you know, their last outing as a team was the ODI World Cup where they, they scored some upsets, you know, they they beat South Africa, they beat Bangladesh, you know, they, they they looked good at that World Cup and they looked like they belonged at, at sort of, you know, the level above what this is, you know, how are they going to cope with coming back down to the sort of away from the bright lights and, and sort of the, the awful Broadway feel that, you know, League Two has, partly because the standard's lower, but partly just because of the, you know, the I guess it may be the fact that they're in Nepal is, is kind of compensating for that because they'll they'll get full houses to be playing in front of uh, and that's what they're used to. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's kind of the question mark for the Netherlands. Um, and yeah, I mean, Namibia's team looks looks pretty similar to the ones they've been putting out recently. Um, Jack Brassel's come in from the under-19s program after a, a good under-19s World Cup. Um, so we'll be we'll be good to see him. Uh, Ruben Trompelman's back in the team after a, a, a bit of a uh, an injury, I believe, uh, layoff. Uh, JP Kotzer is touring again, which is interesting. Um, a, a, a few years ago, he retired um, basically to sort of spend more time with his family, um, and, and he sort of made the odd appearance at at home for Namibia. But the fact he's touring again is is kind of interesting, and and you know he's back in the team. Uh, uh, he's he's been finding form for them, so yeah, we'll, we'll be one to keep an eye on as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, as, as we kind of discussed, I think Nepal, they're definitely the favourites at home here. They've earned the right to be favourites um, with 15 consecutive home victories. Oh, it's an astounding record. And I just think, you know, their home field advantage and the uh, it's just the, the extra ace they've got up their sleeve is the the crowd support too. I mean, it feels like you're playing against 12 rather than... 11 at times with that just with that crowd alone um going to namibia and, and of course them playing in this tri-series jack brassel's been fast-tracked into the squad an under 19 graduate himself great to see kotsa back as as we mentioned nepal again i think this is a, a great stern test for them first up but they do seem a team in a little bit of form um and it's going to be a thoroughly enjoyable tri-series the neutral games in these tri-series also I feel almost count double in a way. If you can, you know, jag wins against the other team touring, then it, it tends to kind of bode well in, in, in how you go about your campaign too. So thoroughly looking forward to this League 2 cycle. And uh, there's, you know, an associate future tours program that's been um, put out rather unexpectedly. It looks like there's going to be some T20i series that have are kind of tacked on either side of these uh, League 2 series not always but it looks like you know most of the time they will be and 
Uh, it meant that we finally got some T20i fixtures for the USA before the T20 World Cup. Uh, so that's good news, I suppose, but we're, we're just waiting to find out, you know, their preparation. And actually more to the point in terms of, say, League Two in this discussion point, we don't even know, you know, there could be 35 players at USA roll within this cycle, given that some guys qualify in, in a couple of months' time. I don't even know how they're going to line up. You know, they've been such a difficult team to predict in, in terms of all this. All other six teams are way more stable in the way that they're put together. Nick, I suppose a question without notice. You've got a T20 World Cup that you're hosting around the corner. Uh, this is qualification on the pathway to the 2027 Cricket World Cup. Do the USA have any idea who is actually going to turn out for them at this point? Because there's like 35, 40 guys who could be playing international cricket for them from all sort of corners, either by eligibility or by, you know, residency, what have you. There seems to be no clarity and we're none the wiser as to who's actually going to turn out for this team, not only for League Two, but for the T20 World Cup coming up as well. Yeah, well, it's, it, I guess the T20 World Cup will give an indication of the League Two setup, or maybe it won't, as, as you allude to, um, because <laughs> their, their first outing for League Two is uh, is going to be after the World Cup. So basically, they should just be you know trying to trying to schedule as many T20s as possible and uh, you know finalize that eleven. But as, as you say, US um, the US team alongside Nepal actually mostly in the first half um, was one of the sides in the previous edition of League Two that. Uh, that had the most number of players, uh, you, you know, play for them uh, over over the tournament. Um, Nepal, they they seem to have found more or less the core of a team after a, a lot of experimentation, um, and and they've been a bit more stable since you know since their you know they're basically since their run of, of victories. Whereas the USA, I don't think anybody is any the wiser as to uh, you know who what, what is what is the best team in the USA. I mean, I I don't think. You could probably put together three different 11s and make a pretty good case for any of them, partly because we haven't really seen that much cricket being played by the US, especially in the T20 format, which they've just basically not played for two years. And even um, even in the 50-over format, you know, as you allude to, there's, there's guys who've become eligible or, or guys who seem to be eligible but aren't being selected or you know all kinds of stuff like that i just kind of wonder yeah i mean this is always a perennial issue for the u.s you know which team turns up um i guess if they can find the best 11 they'll they'll certainly be a a a force to be reckoned with but it just seems like a a, it's all a bit directionless at the moment um you know they, they put a lot of effort into the uh, the major league tournament, which which happened uh, at the middle of last year, and you know there's always some kind of tension bubbling along uh, within U.S. cricket. It's it's a very fractious um, and you know di- diverse and and disparate uh, cricket scene in the U.S. Um, so there's always some some little niggles going on, but it feels like they're really not living up to their potential. And I, I guess we'll find out with some of these T20s that are scheduled you know, where they're sort of thinking at in terms of who might be in that in that best 11 or at least the, the, the best sort of 16, 17 guys that they take to the, the home World Cup. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, <laughs> they have a lot of good players in the US, but can can they put them together to, to form a, a cohesive team is kind of the question 
that well that all of their opponents really uh, at the World Cup are, are going to be asking. Looking around at uh, the other teams that do feature in this cycle, we did sort of touch on on Scotland. We think that they'll be thereabouts, uh, and Brad Wheel is back in. Uh, the Scottish setup, at least internationally. So, looking forward to that. We know, I think we discussed maybe two shows ago that, you know, the likes of Kotzer and <laughs> Callum McLeod are, are no longer in the team. So, the batting needs to step up. And in fairness to, say, Richie Barrington and, and a few of the other guys have been pretty good at, at, at maintaining that, you know, to think that they were one Baz Delader individual performance from a World Cup, I think just shows how good they've been over the last three years, four years as part of that uh, original League Two cycle, Scotland. Jamie Dunk is a player of immense promise. He was the 12th man in the uh, team of the tournament for the Under-19 World Cup. So we should see, I, I'd, I'd say we'll, we'll probably see him at some point in this cycle. Uh, and then, you know, say looking to the two teams in the Middle East, I, I definitely want to bring in Oman uh, as a discussion point, uh, but maybe looking first to say UAE, it's been a topic of conversation where, you know, they were f- the, the whole storyline is based on, you know, the scandals that meant the expulsion of a number of senior players going back four or five years ago. Now it meant that UAE were forced into their hand to play the kids. Uh, and now that's starting to reap immense rewards. You know, not only have you got uh, Mohamed Wazim captaining and it seems like he's a pretty sort of stable operator as someone who can steady that ship. You've got, Ahmed Raza, who's there helping out um, from a coaching and, and management perspective, but the kids are starting to come through. They're not short of talent. There's talk of, you know, a few more kids coming through the, the 19 system, even though they didn't qualify for this under-19 World Cup just gone. But there's good signs for, say, UAE, and then you've got the likes of Asif Khan with his hard-hitting at the back end of innings, just that extra added little uh, facet of their game that they've added to and, and the likes of, you know, Ron Mustafa and Bazil uh, Hamid as well in the middle order who can do both, uh, who can bat and bowl. And again, they seem to be a, a team that's it's on the up and you would think would, would challenge a top four spot. Oh, for sure. I, th- I think the UAE have probably the most impressive talent pathway or, or you know, you, you see the amount of quality cricketers that they're producing from their local academy system and, and the school's cricket there. Out of all the teams in, in League Two, uh, the, the UAE are sort of the ones with consistently the best production and, and, and replacement capacity. Um, so definitely, and it, it'll be really exciting actually just to be watching over the next couple of years, you know, see some some of the guys who've you know, made a debut, played one or two games and, and looked good and see how they progress. Uh, see someone like a Richard Aravin, who was the, the hot young thing in the last cycle. He's kind of settling into his role as kind of a senior player in the team. Um, and then, you know, some some more, um, you know, some more great stories of guys who get discovered um, and and come through into the, into the senior team. So, yeah, the UAE, now that they seem to have, uh, moved on from from the instability of the Robin Singh era, and um, you know before that the the, the fixing scandal, and um, hopefully they can enter a period of you know sustained progress. And and suddenly they're one of the most exciting teams in associate cricket. You know they have a, a lot of uh, well in both in terms of on the field, you know guys like Mohammad Wazim who's who's irresistible, uh, you know when he gets going, and he's just great to watch. And and just off the field in terms of the fact that they're producing so much talent 
in in the UAE and and um, a lot of really interesting stories coming through from there and yeah the, follow the UAE they they're one of the one of the, the teams to watch um, and you know if you don't already uh, check out Paul Radley on Twitter and and um, his uh, his his writing for the National in the UAE he's he's always got some uh, some good scoops about some of the players coming through so yeah UAE I'm I'm very keen on the UAE I, I think I mean I would say they're nailed on for a top four finish but you know, there's a lot of uh, cricket to be played. Um, <laughs> you know, 144 matches of it, in fact, uh, in, in this uh, League Two cycle. So uh, you, you don't know what's going to happen, but I think they would be very disappointed if if they're not even you know in contention for winning the whole thing. Scotland, yeah, you you, you touch on the the talent coming through, and yeah, there are some good some good players like Dunk that you mentioned, but. It does feel a bit like um, they're kind of on on the way down, and some of the off-field instability um, in, in terms of the administrative stuff probably isn't helping. But you know, Richie Barrington, he's probably getting towards the back end of his career. Michael Leask, same thing. You know, even even a guy like Safian Sharif, who's been leading the attack for a long time. You know, so I, I think Scotland, you know, that they'll they'll want to be pushing through some some more talent because. Um, you know the the senior guys who've been serving them for so long, they're getting on, and and you know by the end of the cycle, you would think a couple of them are probably looking to retire, or or you know so um, Scotland are definitely an, an interesting case because they were so good in the previous cycle, so consistent. Um, are they going to be able to maintain that with a, a kind of an aging team? Oh, I'm so glad you've you've put it like that because the last team that we need to discuss is Oman and if it's an issue for Scotland then it's an issue for Oman. It's I don't know if you can play cricket with walking sticks but unless they <laughs> they're not that much older than us Bez now now that you mention it. Oh okay yes look you make a good point but I mean some of those guys are going to be in their 40s uh mm-hmm. when this cycle ends up. I mean I had a brief look at at kind of their rotation of players in the last couple of years and you can only really say that they've had two consistent players under the age of 30 that, that's changing a little bit but i mean it's dad's army at this point in fairness to them they are well drilled they train well i think they're pretty regimented in the way that they go about things uh off the field and in terms of how they operate uh on it and on the training ground as well so in fairness to them, they're probably not the most unfit, you know, older group of players. But I just think they're just a little bit longer in the tooth at this point. It would, I think, it would take something monumental. And granted, cricket is a sport where older players or players older, relatively speaking, to other sports can flourish, especially on the batting side. But I'm just looking at the rigors of of what League Two League Two cricket is. Thirty six one day internationals on top of all the T20s that teams are going to play. They're not as if. They're a team that has a lot of rotation in terms of the two formats. A lot of those guys double up and play both formats. I've seen even as far back as 2019 when you know we saw Zishan Maksud make 100 in uh, the old World Cricket League 2 tournament you know, not play the next day because he was resting and he just looked a broken man after he made that 100. It's going to be so hard for these guys to back up. And granted, the way that these ODIs are set up now, there is a bit more rest in between games which will help them but I just think it was a bridge too far I think if they if they were going to make waves in the international game in 50 over cricket I think it had to be in the last cycle I think this is probably one cycle too long or too old and too late uh I'm interested to get your take but I just I just can't see it I'd happily be proven wrong in three years time but I just I just can't see it Nick. No I I agree and I think uh, eventually 
slowing reflexes and and you know losing just half a step of pace for a guy like Bilal Khan and you know all those things that that come along unfortunately <laughs> as as you uh, move into your 30s uh, yeah I, I think it will catch up to them especially probably at the back end of the cycle although you know looking at the upcoming T20 World Cup why aren't the UAE there because Oman kept them out so you know obviously they remain a very dangerous team um, with, as you allude to, a lot of uh, very experienced performers. A guy like Zishan Maksud, who I, I think has been one of the better captains in associate cricket over the last sort of five-year period. Um, very uh, stable leader, uh, often uh, kind of, if, if he doesn't perform with the bat, he'll perform with the ball and vice versa. Um, he, he's just been a, a very reliable uh, part of that team. So... It's not with any pleasure that I'm saying this because, you know, they have a lot of players that I, I really respect. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's probably just one cycle too many in terms of them really pushing on. Although, uh, yeah, a top four finish is entirely possible because they still have a lot of quality in that team, even if, you know, maybe they, they can't, uh, they don't have the endurance to really push on to the top of the table. I, I think middle of the table is pretty realistic for them. And yeah, I mean, it, it only takes one or two guys to have a good day and maybe the good days become a little less frequent, but you know, there's, there's a lot of quality in that team. So yeah, I, I don't think anyone here, you know, in league two would be sort of breathing easy. Oh, thank goodness. We've just got Oman today. Yeah. You know, they're, they're a team that you always have to take seriously. Yeah. The only danger, I think, I think that's a really good point for all the teams in that uh, there's just no easy fixtures here and you could perceived that the last cycle it might have been in some cases there were opportunities to really cash in but just looking at, at the way this is set up now with eight teams and, and granted there are four spots the only time where I think this might become an issue is if we get well down the track of league two two-thirds into the cycle and the top four and the bottom four are essentially decided already I think that, yeah, that's the only danger but you would think that there'd just be enough for everyone and enough motivation to either try and win the competition or to avoid being in the bottom two it's unclear what the relegation prospects are going to be like as per the last cycle whether or not it, it, it applies to this one it would be kind of crazy if the bottom four are all up for potential relegation to Challenge League because you would hope that there's sort of an incentive to try and finish as high as you can in League 2. But yeah, it might only be an issue later on where, where teams do get a little bit uh, complacent in the way that they go about things. But thoroughly looking forward to League 2. The stability of 36 you know, one-day internationals is not lost across a three-year period for these teams and it's cricket with context i know we give up a bit of the the jeopardy and the drama of you know one-off tournaments like the old world cricket leagues but it, it's so much better for the cricket ecosystem to have this competition in it and and i think credit needs to be you know given to, to people who have helped organize uh all of this it's it's a much better pathway than the one that we used to see in times gone by 14 teams in the next world cup i mean we can discuss formats of of the world cup proper but you know, having this and the Challenge League below and the Challenge League playoff underneath that, theoretically, I think, you know, is a far better way to, to operate with, with all this and, and thoroughly looking forward to another cycle of uh, 50 over associate cricket because I think it's some of the best, you know, cricket in terms of entertainment purely based on the context, irrespective of the perceived abilities. And we know these guys are really good at what they do now. You know, the, the Dutch are just testaments and, and examples of that. So, 
again, uh, live and free on ICC TV or fan code in select regions. I know that there are a couple of other countries that have their own TV rights deals, Nepal being one of them as well, which is good to see, but pretty much accessible to the world as well. So uh, wherever you are, you can you can jump on and, and watch, you know, some League Two action. You know, there's going to be 144 one-day internationals in the next three years. That's nothing to sneeze at, um, irrespective of the time zone. So looking forward to it. That's just about everything in the emerging game this week. We've gone overs, but I think it's fair. We've we've had a lot of cricket this weekend. Uh, there's no one really stopping us from from recording as long. For those who have stuck around, a huge thank you to to all of you. Make sure to keep up with everything up to date in the emerging uh, cricket world on emergingcricket.com, as well as the pod and uh, socials going on everywhere. We're trying to be basically wherever your screen attention goes at this point. Uh, big innings this week too, uh, a good one with, with Nate and Arman, so make sure to listen to that as well. But uh, Nick, uh, unless you, you've got anything to add, I think we can wrap it up there. I think I think we've done we've done well to cover a lot of cricket that's happened this week um, and uh, a lot more on the way. Looking forward to it. Uh, wherever you are watching uh, your associate cricket, enjoy it. And uh, we'll be back next week for hopefully more bumper content in the emerging world.